About two and a half years ago, I went to see a counselor because I thought I was dealing with really severe anxiety. I say I thought, which kind of clues you in, there's something else going on, but I thought I was dealing with really severe anxiety. It was kind of crippling and kind of dominating every situation. And I go to the counselor and he listened and he ended up saying some really helpful things about anxiety, but he said something that stuck in my ear and it took me a year and a half before I actually realized he was right and that he had actually diagnosed what was really going on. Because I thought I was dealing with anxiety and he said something, and I don't even remember what his exact words were, but I just remember being kind of indignant and being like, how dare he think that I'm dealing with anger? I, when we, we both know that I'm dealing with anxiety. Something I had said in the, the initial conversation, meeting with the counselor, something in my words like tipped him off that this is not a situation about anxiety. This is actually somebody who's dealing with anger and anger issues. A year and a half later, I realized he was right, and I thanked God for how that counselor had, had done that. But I was, I was thinking of that story, not specifically because we're talking about anger or anxiety today, but sometimes our words betray what we really think, even if we don't realize what we're saying, right? Like sometimes you've been in an argument, maybe with a spouse, maybe at work or somewhere, and a, something slips out and you realize, I did not mean to say that. Or I didn't realize that was the issue. Or maybe you're the recipient where something slips out and you realize, I really messed up and they'd never told me. But I can now tell something in their words lets that slip. Today we're going to be looking at a a, a parable. We're going to finish our series through the parables of Jesus in the book of Luke with probably the most famous parable in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 32. Today we're going to be looking at the story of the prodigal son. The, maybe, you're, maybe it's called the, the, the parable of the lost son. One of the most famous, if not the most famous of the Jesus parables. And this is a story where, where one of the characters lets a word slip that gives an indication of what's really going on what's really happening under the surface. And today I want us to come to that parable and listen to see what, what, is, what does this little slip, what, what do these words have to say to us? So Luke chapter 15, it's actually a collection of three parables that go together. I want to, I want to share the context with you before we read it. So at the beginning of chapter 15, verse 1, tax collectors, which are like rebels, and against the Jewish people. These are like the, some of the most hated people in the, in the land. Uh, tax collectors and sinners, whatever, whatever that means, are gathering around to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees, that's a group of people tr- thinking that if we just keep the rules enough, God will love us. And the tax collector, or I'm sorry, the Pharisees and teachers of the law, they are indignant that Jesus would eat with tax collectors and sinners. So this is the context. Jesus tells three parables. The first one has to do with uh, a woman searching for a lost coin and being so incredibly glad when she finds that she, that she throws a party. That's the story of uh, a lost sheep that a man goes in search of the one uh, of 99 sheep or of one of 100 sheep that are lost. And Jesus 
uh, says that the man goes and rejoices and asks other people to rejoice with them. But then this is the, so in the context of Jesus eating with sinners and everybody going, how dare he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus tells a par- two parables about rejoicing. Continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen in that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. Let's pray. Father, as we open your word, as we hear what you have to say to to self-righteous Pharisees and teachers of the law that think that you shouldn't rejoice at the return of something lost. We pray that you would actually speak to us, not just about others, but to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So the, the crisis in this story is that the, in this situation, we're, the question becomes, how is the father going to treat the two brothers? The two parables before, the lost sheep and the lost coin, both deal with something lost being found. But it's not between two coins and two sheep. It's between, it's just one thing. So now there's, he introduces the two things. The the story starts with the divided inheritance. At the time, a father could, would give twice as much. So two thirds of his wealth to the oldest son and then a third of his wealth to the second son. And it, it could be fairly normal for the father to give his property to his son, but the son doesn't get to sell the property or get to benefit from the income from the property until the father is dead. So the, the dad still gets the income from the property. That was something that would happen. That wasn't like unheard of at the time. But what is unheard of is that the younger son gets it all together, sells it, and leaves. This is the son saying, Dad, I want nothing to do with you, and I want nothing to tie me down to this place. And so the younger son takes the property, does what's unheard of, and sells it, and then gets up everything and leaves. The story, the, in the, the second scene in the story, the younger son wastes, maybe your translation says squanders his wealth in wild living. He just wastes the rest of it. Doesn't give us any, de- Jesus doesn't give us details. I don't know if I, about you, but when I think about it, I, I uh, picture pictures from children's Sunday school that had specific things he was doing with his wealth. And I, so when I was reading the story this week, I was like, oh, it doesn't actually say what he did. It just says that he wasted it. He squandered it. He lost it. And so he spent, verse 14 says, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So at this point, he's alone. He has nothing left. He has no friends. He has no family. He's rejected his family, and says in verse 15, so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. We know, and some of us love pigs, 
But in this time, this would have been unheard of for a good Jewish boy to feed pigs and have anything to do with pigs. And so he, it's, so he's so desperate, he goes and does what no good Jewish boy would do just to try and feed himself. But his wages don't even fill his belly. And so verse 16 says, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but nobody gave him anything. So he's working a bad job that doesn't feed him enough. And so verse 17 says that he's so desperate and he comes to his senses, Jesus says, verse 17, when he comes to his senses. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. Jesus tells the story that he comes to his senses and goes home with a prepared speech. And Jesus even tells us what the speech sounds like. If you're like me, you've been in some situations, especially when you're a child and you've got to go apologize to your parents and you like rehearse, this is what I need to say. Let me say this and let me say this. And this is what the, 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 the young man does, the young son does. He rehearses his speech and he heads home. But Jesus says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Then the son starts his speech in verse 21. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And then in verse 22, the father interrupts. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. This is where the other parables end that Jesus has just spoken to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. It would have ended with, let's have a party. But it goes on to, we then remember, oh wait, there is an older son. Verse 25 says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back, safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So the, the, the difference in this parable and the others is that there is an older brother that is disgusted and angry that his dad would celebrate when his younger brother comes home. The older brother compares, he says, I've never disobeyed your orders, compares himself to a servant and says, I've been slaving for you and I've never disobeyed your orders. This is where I think the clue in the difference between these parables, this is the clue to what the, what's really happening is that the, the younger son wants to come and be a servant because he says, I'm not worthy to be called a son. And the older brother says, look, I've been slaving all this time and I never left. The older brother is, the, he's the one that I think has put the picture in my mind of what the younger brother did because he says, this younger son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes. It's the older brother's accusation is the only indication that this is what actually happened. 
And somehow in my mind, my child's mind, that this is the image of what the younger brother does. Jesus doesn't give us that picture. It's the older brother that gives us that picture. We don't know if he actually did that or not. But the older brother is the one who's standing there accusing both his younger brother and of his dad. And in the dad's final conversation, it ends with this invitation, and we don't know what the older brother's response is. The father says, my son, here you are. You've called me yourself a servant and a slave, but you're my son. You're always with me, and literally everything I have belongs to you. I've already divided the inheritance. All this belongs to you. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And then Jesus leaves it hanging for the Pharisees and the teachers of the law to go, wait, what are we supposed to do with this parable? How how do I respond to this one? When the father comes in and invites the older brother to come in and celebrate. I think the point of this parable is that Jesus welcomes lost younger brothers and lost older brothers. Jesus welcomes lost younger brothers and lost older brothers. Because you see, it's the older brother that's left outside the party. It's the older brother that had never done anything wrong and lived as a servant and obeyed in all of the right things. And yet, he still cannot come in and celebrate. Nothing's ever good enough for him. So the point, I think, of this, this passage is that Jesus welcomes both lost younger brothers and lost older brothers. It is an invitation to all of us to come home. To come home. And what I want to show you is, as we've learned, as we've gone through with the parables, each of the characters in a parable usually have something for us to latch onto and apply to ourselves. I want to show you three applications when we come home from the three characters in this story. The Father teaches us to come home because this is what God is like. Come home because this is what God is like. You see, the, the, to the younger son who has wasted his father's inheritance. The younger son who has been a rebel and has said, I don't care about you. I don't want anything to do with you. I don't care if you die. I'm not coming home. To the younger son, the father is generous, even undignified. Like it is, it is not proper for, the, for a landowner, for an, uh, for an old man to pick up his robes and start running. It was not honorable for him to do that. And yet, in front of everybody, he grabs his robe, pulls it up so he doesn't trip, and goes running to find his younger brother. Or, I'm sorry, for, to find his younger son. And so, the, 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 to the younger son who has rebelled against him, the, the father teaches us that God is completely generous in his welcome. And to the older son, who is also far away, we find that the father is both pleading and trusting. Going to him and pleading with him, teaching us that this is what God is like to younger brothers that are far away and to older brothers that are far away. God is generous and pleading and even trusting. Teaching and inviting us to trust that this is actually what he's like. So that the, 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 this parable teaches us, whether we look at ourselves as older brothers or younger brothers today, that if I come to God, this is the kind of rejoicing God that I'm going to find. Maybe for you, this is not something that you, that you go, man, that I really needed to hear today, that when, if, when I come to Jesus, he's got a smile on his face, 
and he wraps me up in his robe and puts sandals on my feet and gives me his ring and does his very best. Maybe today you're not really struggling to hear that God is happy with you, but maybe you are. Maybe today there's just, you go, God, I, I just, I ha- haven't been able to get over whatever it is that I can't get over, and you must be mad at me over it. Know that if you come to God, this parable teaches us that we're going to find a rejoicing welcome. A God who is so glad that we're here, that you're there. A God, if you, look, if you today are, look at yourself and go, hey, I am the older brother who is self-righteous and proud, thinking that I'm better than everybody else, he must be mad at me. Or if you're the older brother that goes, I should have been a servant, I should have done better, and I didn't do better, and you, you feel like God is not going to welcome you because of whatever, this parable blows that out of the water because Jesus is saying, if you come to God, you're going to find a generous, pleading God who rejoices that you have come near. But, and so, but maybe this is a, some fact, some reality, some truth that you need to file away for later. Maybe there's going to come a day next year, next week, 10 years from now, where you need to know in your heart of hearts that the Father is glad that you've come back because you're going to re- someday there's going to come a moment where you realize, I've gone so far, He must not want me. I've gone and done so many things, God does not want me. You need to know in your heart of hearts, file it away one day, that God likes you and is glad that you've come home. I think we also need to begin to apply that to ourselves here today. As There are so many things that we can begin to go, am I good enough? Does God like me? Does God like our church? Is God happy? This story says that we must settle in our hearts the reality that God is a God that delights when somebody tax collector, sinner, anybody comes home. When older brothers come home and when younger brothers come home, God is happy with us. And it's so easy for us to think of all the things that we don't do right and that God must be upset about. Oh, I didn't do this and I didn't do this and I didn't do this. Our words betray that we think that we are servants. And God says, I am glad that you've come home. That's the story that we see throughout the Bible, right? Like Peter had to have been like Jesus. Jesus, can he ever forgive me betraying him before he died? And yet Jesus reinstates Peter as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus, as a leader of the church. Peter doesn't have to get things right and start leading and doing all of the right things before Jesus reinstates Peter. It's what we see in the life of David as God delights in David. And the, the basically one good thing David does is repent and return home when he realizes how far he's strayed. It's what we see in the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 40, when God says, what's my relationship going to be with Israel who has rejected me and turned their backs on me and disobeyed me? Comfort my people, Jesus or Isaiah says. It's what we see in the in the Old Testament, when we look at the story of Hosea welcoming his, his wife, Gomer, who's rejected him, turned away from him, and become a prostitute. And Hosea points us to the heart of God that what is God like? God is the kind of God who rejoices when people who have made a mess of their lives, whether younger brother kind of messes or older brother kind of messes, come home. And so file this away. As you deal with your sin and defeat in the Christian life, file away that no matter what happens, that somebody that comes home, God is delighted 
as you deal with the guilt of your sin, whatever your sin is, and Satan comes in and accuses, well, you should have done this and you should have this and how dare you do this. File away and say back to that temptation, but the Father delights when somebody comes home. Maybe someday or maybe today you're dealing with some kind of addictive addiction or addictive behavior and you go, how can I, what can I do and what will God do if I come home? The, this story says come home because this is what God is like no matter who you are. The second application we see in this story, the younger brother teaches us this. Come home because you're going to be welcomed and rejoiced over. My favorite part of this story is the fact that the younger brother was practicing what he would say to his dad. Like, I identify with that totally. Like, rehearsing, okay, let me say this right. Let me do this. Let me get this right. And he's like, okay, you know, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. He's got this whole thing practiced and he gets halfway through it and his dad has already thrown his arms around his son. He's already thrown his arms around his son before he gets this apology done. Before the apology's over, he's told the servants, bring the best robe. Let him know that he's accepted here. Go and get a ring. Go get the fatted calf. He, this, put, he, the reason he says put shoes on his feet is because servants were barefoot and only like landed free men had got to wear shoes. And so he's like, my son is free. He's not a servant. Put shoes on his feet. Let, let's make there no mistake that my son is my son. He belongs here. He's accepted and he's free. All before the son can get the, the apology out before he can make an arrangement with his dad and be like, well, I, don't, I, don't, I know I don't belong here. I, I, I know I have no rights here. And he's like already declared to everybody he has the rights to belong here. The, son, the younger son is, sat, is settling himself on being a servant because he misunderstands what it means to be a son. The, the younger son is coming home and thinking, well, I've been so bad I can't be a son, so maybe I can be a servant. And he misunderstands. You don't earn the right to be a son. It is given to you. It is bestowed on you. And you do not get to earn that. You see, this, I think the younger son is tempted to believe that it could never happen. And you and I are going to be tempted to believe at some point. The, the point where you're tempted to be at, like this is going to be different than the point that I'm going to be tempted. You might scoff at the moments where I go, oh, God could never love me. And I might scoff at the moments where you go, God could never love me. What a mess I've made. But this story calls to us and says, come home. You are going to be welcomed and rejoiced over. Can you believe this? Can you repeat this to yourself? Whether the issue is something small or great, whether it's something from this week or whether it's something from 15 years ago that comes along and says, this could never happen. Believe it. Believe it. Milton Vincent in his book, The Gospel primer for Christians, speaking of the gospel, says this. He says, the gospel is so foolish, according to my natural wisdom, so scandalous, according to my conscience, and so incredible, according to my timid heart, that it is a daily battle to believe the full scope of it as I should. There is simply no other way to compete with the forebodings of my conscience, the condemnings of my heart, and the lies of the world and the devil, than to overwhelm such things with daily rehearsings of the gospel. I think that this captures what our need from this parable is, which is to repeat to ourselves over and over that when younger brothers come home, they're declared free and belonging and belonging and accepted. Like, and so that's going to be for me if I come home. 
So, can you and I begin to gossip this kind of thing? We can tell a lot of other stories in our lives, but can we like make sure that the, the, the people in our lives, our spouse gets to hear from us the constant reminder that if you come home, God will welcome you and rejoice over you. Can we gossip this in such a way that our kids know that the major message of the Bible is that if younger sons come home, they will be declared free and accepted? Can we begin to pray this for each other? Praying that this message would be spread far and wide in our church and in Manchester and in Scott County and in Greene County because the world doesn't say this. The world says that younger sons who waste everything get what they deserve. But can we pray that people would hear the good news that younger sons who have wasted everything still have a place if they come home? Can we begin to pray that in our kids, maybe it's your nieces and nephews, maybe if it's in your siblings, maybe if it's in your cousins, can we pray that this reality will take root because nobody else is going to say this that younger sons can come home because they will be welcomed and rejoiced over. The third application we see in this story, from this story, the third application when we come home, the older son teaches us to come home as a son this time. Come home as a son this time. This, I, I told you, I think that his words betrayed him. The older brother says, the older son says, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. He says, I served you his words betray that he misunderstands far deeper than his younger brother does what the nature of being a son is. And he's still outside the party because he thinks he's a servant. And he thinks he's owed something and should be paid something. And he doesn't realize, I, Howard Marshall says this, that one can still be lost even at home. He'd never technically left, but his heart was far gone. He'd, he'd, he'd lost the, the reality that this is my dad and he loves me dearly. He doesn't think of me as a servant and I don't have the identity of a servant. And so this older brother is lost and outside the party, glaring because how dare this guy get to be treated as a son, not realizing that he himself is a son. But the father goes out and pleads with him. And so some of us are... Some of us have come to God as a younger son, knowing that we don't belong and that we don't deserve anything and we receive it gratefully. But somewhere along the line, we begin to switch to becoming an older son and we begin thinking about ourselves as servants. It's something that I've noticed for years in in the church and in the Christian life, in myself and in other people. Our words betray us. In the same way that my words, I thought it was anxiety, betrayed that it was actually anger and I needed help with that issue. Our words betray the fact that we think of ourselves as servants and that God's love for us is conditional to how we perform. And so this parable is not spoken simply so that rebels and sinners who waste everything and do all sorts of gross immorality or know that they're welcome at home. It's so that self-righteous older brothers that are afraid, afraid that God won't be happy with us because we didn't pray enough, we didn't read the Bible enough, we didn't give enough, we didn't share the gospel enough, we weren't patient enough, we didn't do whatever it is. We think that God's love for us is conditional on what we do. Maybe it's that we think, well, I didn't grieve well enough, and so God must be mad at me. And so this passage says, older brother, you're not a servant. 
Stop thinking that God's love for you is based on how well you do. And come in as a son this time and rejoice with me. Jaya Packer says that the highest privilege of the gospel is not being forgiven. It's not being included in God's plans. It's, it's, not, it's not simply going to heaven. The highest privilege of the gospel is getting to call God Father. Because we have no rights on our own to do that. The highest privilege of the gospel is that we get to call God Father and mean it. And it, it means that we're not just, well, we're, we're at peace with him. We're, not, we're no longer his enemies. It doesn't, it, the, the, the privilege is, is not just, well, we're, we're on his side now. We're in his army. Those kinds of things are true. But the privilege of the gospel is that God takes his enemies who should be his servants and he says, let me do one better. I'll make you my child and I will give you all the rights of a child. You, the real you, the younger son you that wasted everything, the older son you that thought you were better than everybody else and thought you could somehow earn your way and you realize you can't. I'll make you a member of my family. And so this parable calls to you and I saying, come home as a son this time. It says, don't embrace the identity simply of being a servant when God offers you the identity of a son. Come in and rejoice. So this passage tells us to come home. Come home because this is what God is like. Come home because you will be welcomed and rejoiced over. Come home as a son this time. But maybe you say, on what basis can I come home? You say, on what basis can I come home? Like, why can little brothers come home? Why are proud and fearful older brothers welcome? Is it because God is a cosmic grandfather who just doesn't care? Is it because God is a great Santa Claus who balances out what we've done? No, the seriousness of our rebellion against God requires someone to pay the price so that we can be welcomed home, so that we can be clothed and fed and honored. You see, it requires an older brother who says, everything belongs to me and I'll pay. Jesus is the better older brother who runs to the far country to bring his brother home. That is how you can be confident when you come home. That is how you can be confident that God's love for you is still out there. Next month, next year, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, when you need to hear that there is an older brother who is going to seek and to find his younger brother and bring him home. Jesus tells us this parable so that in our heart of hearts, we can believe that it's true when we need it most. Let me speak to those today who, who may want to come home to get today for the first time. Maybe you're here and you have never even thought about coming home because you never realized the depth of your guilt and your need to come to God and for, to be forgiven and to be welcomed into the family. You say, how, Joe, how can that happen? I'm feeling something. but I want to know what it means to come home. The Bible says that we have a need to come home because even though God created us, we have turned away from him like the younger son, rebelling against him and saying, no, we will do our thing. It's not the specific sin. It's the reality that we have turned away from God into any sin that separates us from him and that gives us a need to come home. The Bible calls, says that the wages of sin is death. Any sin is death. And so you and I and everybody after us and everybody before us stands guilty before God in need of forgiveness to being delivered from our sin. 
because the price of sin is physical death in this life and eternal death in hell forever. But the story of the Bible is that God the Son coming and living the life that we should live and then dying the death that we should die and being raised to life as a promise that all who repent of sin, that means to change your mind and turn away from Jesus and trust in Him alone to save you, can be welcomed into the very family of God and knowing that resurrection is what's coming. Not just forgiveness now, though that's true, but also a, well, a resurrection and a welcome into the family. And if that's you, let today be the day that you repent and trust in Jesus for the first time. Let that today be the day that you come home for the first time. Whether you've attended this church for 76 years or whether you have come in for the first time. Like let today be the day that you trust in Jesus and come home. If you have questions about that, if you want to know for sure that you're actually coming home, Come and grab me at the end of the service. We're going to be singing a song where we respond together, but you may want some clarity. Come and grab me at the end of the service. And so this passage today calls all of us, younger brothers and older brothers, come home. You are welcome here. And what I want you to imagine is what the Christian life looks like when this is the, the dominant story of your heart. Not like an older brother thinking, I need to obey out of, because I'm a servant. But I, there's no fear or guilt that there's anything else, any displeasure in my father. And that he loves me dearly. Imagine what happens so that you can be free from the sin that you, you want to be free from. So that you can obey in the ways that you know that you ought to obey. Imagine what obedience without fear or guilt looks like. Imagine what, what, pride, what happens to pride when the root of it, which is that, hey, we're all brothers welcomed in, older and younger alike. Imagine what happens to our pride when we go, I don't deserve to be here, but nobody does. That's not what the nature of a son is. Nobody deserves this. Imagine what kind of confidence happens in you when you realize that no matter what the day holds and no matter where you go, there is a smile on the face of your father. He will fall on your neck with a hug. He will welcome you and say, you belong here. Imagine what kind of confidence comes. No matter what the bills look like, no matter what the diagnosis is, no matter what the guilt or temptation or shame that comes by, imagine the kind of confidence that comes when we know that this is how God will treat us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you wanted us to know for sure that you would welcome and rejoice over us that you want younger brothers to come home and you want older brothers to come home and rejoice with you when anybody comes. We pray that you would do more of that. We thank you and rejoice for the, the fact that we've heard the gospel at all and we want the people around us to hear this good news that God welcomes and adopts sinners. In Jesus' name, amen.